Life is difficult. Scott Peck penned those words in his opening statement to his book, The Road Less Traveled, more than 30 years ago. But to be honest, Scott Peck was merely stating the obvious. We all know life is difficult, do we not? There's always struggles, there's always challenges. Life is filled with difficulty. If you don't believe that, try raising a teenager. Or try being a teenager. Or try being a parent and you're trying to get your kids on the the right track. Try being single. Try being married. Try... Try holding a job that you really don't like, but you got to keep it because you got to pay the bills. Try paying the bills without a job, and you're looking for a job, but you can't get a job. Life is difficult. Try waiting for a report from your doctor who you think is going to say you've got cancer. Try dealing with with a difficult boss. Try running a small business. Try pastoring a church. Try the many things that you do. And you all know, life is difficult. I wish that I could say that once you become a Christian, all of your problems will be over. Follow Jesus Christ, never again a problem in all the world. However, I cannot say that. In fact, even though it will solve some problems, like where am I going to go when I die, and that's the biggest issue, but it might also create some problems. Exhibit A, the Apostle Paul. You might remember his story. He was known earlier in life as Saul. And this young man by the name of Saul was an up-and-coming leader in the Jewish religious system. He had the best education. One of the most prestigious leaders in his world, Gamaliel, was his teacher. He was incredibly well versed in in scripture and in culture. And he was considered to be the epitome of what it meant to be a good Jew in his day. However, one day, while going to persecute this sect he heard of called the way we know as Christianity... Jesus Christ stopped him. And Jesus Christ, to make a long story short, got his attention and Saul became known to us as Paul and became one of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ who ever lived. But his problems only multiplied. After he became a Christian, not before, he was beaten with rods on three different occasions. Beaten with whips five different times. 
He was even stoned, hit with these huge rocks until they thought they killed him. They thought he was dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He was in and out of prison. And everywhere he went, he was in danger. Everywhere he went, somebody either did not like him, probably wanted to stop him, probably in some cases wanted him dead. In fact, in the scripture that we're going to read today, in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing a letter while being chained, as best we can understand, to a Roman soldier 24-7. How many of you think you would like that? You wouldn't even want to be chained to your husband or to your wife 24-7, would you? Yet Paul is, he says, in chains. We believe he was chained round the clock to a Roman soldier in Rome. And he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. But I want you to notice what he says in the middle of the circumstances he is writing from. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Say it with me. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. How many of you know that is easier said than done? I can do that when circumstances are amazing. I can do that when there's lots of money in the bank. I can do that when everybody thinks I'm wonderful. I can do that when the sermon goes well. I can do that when attendance is way up over last year and the giving is more than we can even know what to do with. I can do that then. I can do that when I got good health, no aches or pains, no issues, no problems, no struggles, and so can you. But can you do that when the circumstances of your life or difficult. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And this truly is a theme in Scripture. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord. How often? At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man that trusteth in him. And he is writing that, we think, from a cave after he had just pretended to be insane in order to save his life. Can you imagine? James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. says, Consider all joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. The Bible does not tell us that we should rejoice simply because we have bad circumstances, but we rejoice because we have a God who's building character inside of us in the middle of them. 
issues, problems, struggles, trials in the Christian life are like weights to a weightlifter. There are opportunities to grow stronger. Romans 5 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only so, but we glory, rejoice in tribulation. We rejoice in trouble, in trial, knowing that tribulation worketh perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. Paul says, we rejoice in the trials of life. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. The prophet Habakkuk is going through a a difficult season. And he says this. Though the fig tree does not blossom, though there be no grapes on the vine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there be no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stall, though all of circumstance, all of life around me seems to be difficult with no material blessing. Yet he says this, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on the heights. I don't know about you. I'm not quite there yet. But yet, God says, choose to be joyful and choose to be gentle. Verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is not a highly regarded virtue in our world today. Toughness, yes. Gentleness, Not so much. Yet it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, you may know, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Say gentleness to me. Gentleness and self-control. This is not easy, is it? In order to be gentle, we have to many times be selfless. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 speaks to that. It says... Don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit. But in humility of mind, consider others as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. James 3, 17 and 18 says the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. Peacemakers who sow in peace shall raise a harvest of righteousness. And the word translated considerate in the NIV is gentle in most translations. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's difficult for me to be gentle. I remember about a week ago, I was at the gym. How many of you like to go to the gym? Got a few of you. None of us want to raise our hands because people say, well, you don't look like you go to the gym. Huh? <laughs> and I don't claim to be a bodybuilder or anything like that, but I like to go to the gym and work out. But anyway, I've been going to the gym for a long time. And I happened to be sitting at this weight machine, and I was doing something called curls. 
and I got a little more weight on there than I probably should have because I was kind of tired. And when I set the weight down, it kind of clanked like that. There's a little old lady sitting next to me. She's maybe 80. I don't know that she's ever been to the gym before in her entire life. She has a personal trainer standing next to her trying to show her how to use the machine. She turns to me and says, you're not supposed to let it clank when you get to set it down. I wanted to say, lady, how long you been going to the gym? Thankfully, I didn't. I just said, thank you very much. You're absolutely right. I'll try to be careful. Because she was right. But I didn't like it a lot. Choose to be gentle. The last part of verse 5, Paul throws in a reminder. It's a source of motivation. He says, let your gentleness be evident to the law because the Lord is near. That could mean that the Lord is nearby. That's one interpretation. And he is, right? Everywhere you go, God is there. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's there. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And so that is one interpretation, and that obviously is true. Another interpretation is the Lord's coming is near. The Lord can come back at any time. So we need to live like we believe that. So he continues, choose to rejoice, choose to be gentle, and choose to be peaceful. Paul continues in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Have I got any worriers in the room today? Got a few. I tell you, in the first service, people were raising hands for others, okay? I'm not generally a worrier, but, but sometimes I do. I get worried. I remember last week, I'd been going to physical therapy, probably went 15 times, and they told me my insurance would pay for it, and I believed them, and all that stuff, and... So I thought, you know, when I get a bill, it'll probably be, you know, $100 or so. I got a bill in the mail last week from physical therapy. You know how much it was? 6200 and something dollars. Yeah, that's how I felt. Ugh. And it was like 7 or 8 o'clock at night when I opened it, so it's not like I could call them. So, uh, surely that can't be right. Surely that can't be right. I don't know. What is that? What is that? So, it's like, okay. I called him the next day, and I said, I think there's been a mix-up. And I, I said, I got a bill here for $6,200 and something dollars. She said, what's your name? And I told her, and then there's this pause on the phone. You're just waiting, you know. And finally, she says, oh, that's totally wrong. It's $180. I have never been more glad in my life to pay a $180 bill. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's why they did that. I don't know, but I was a little worried. Worry can paralyze us. Yet, we still worry. The old English word for which we get our word worry means to strangle. You ever notice how worry can strangle you? You can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't think about anything else except what you're worried about. 
It's on your mind 24-7. You can't even think about doing your job the way you need to do your job because you're just worried about this problem. You're worried about this issue. You're worried about this struggle. You're worried about what might happen. We worry. Someone said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Nevertheless, we all have a tendency, at least many of us do, to worry. Perhaps you've heard about the lady who every night when she and her husband went to bed, she just seemed to hear a sound downstairs. And uh, she would always say, hey, honey, would you, would you check downstairs? I think there might be something going on down there. And you, you get that at home too, John? All right. Okay. Yeah, John. Okay. I got, got it over here. Anyway, so he dutifully goes down, checks it out, and everything's fine. Well, this happens basically every night for about 10 years. It's like, really? Well, one night, she says it again as usual. Would you just go down and just check it out downstairs? I'm just concerned. I think I heard something. He kind of rolls his eyes. He gets out of bed, walks downstairs, and sure enough, there's a burglar down there. He sees the burglar, and the burglar is startled and starts to run away. But the husband says, please, don't run away. Come back. My wife's been waiting to meet you for the last 10 years. (laughs) Sometimes we worry. It's not just the ladies either. It's the guys too. Life presents itself with lots of things to worry about. But the Bible says, do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Choose to be peaceful. Don't worry. Choose to be joyful and gentle and choose to be prayerful. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition." present your request to God. We've got to choose to be prayerful. One interpreter says it like this. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. And the idea there is to ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Don't stop. For everyone who asks receives, who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door shall be opened. James 4, 2 says, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we ask and receive because, don't receive because we don't have the right motives. But he says, ask. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop praying. Pray when you get up in the morning. Pray when you go to bed at night. Pray in the middle of the day. Carve time out to pray. Pray while you're doing everything else. Always be in a spirit of prayer. Pray. There's nothing that we do that is more important than praying. James 5.16 says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. Choose to be prayerful. And in the middle of your praying, choose to be thankful. 
Go to verse 6. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Give thanks. In the middle of your praying, in the middle of whatever you're doing, choose to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks. How many of you know what this coming Thursday is? Thanksgiving. Say it with me. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday. Now, I love Christmas, obviously, because it's the birth of the Savior, but it's been so commercialized. And I love Easter, obviously, because it's the resurrection, and, but it's kind of gotten commercialized, too, for some. And I love those holidays, too. But Thanksgiving is another one of my favorites. Why? For one reason, it's just simple, okay? Of course, I don't cook. It'd be harder if I was cooking, right? But the other reason, the most important reason, is not only is it simple, but it's the focus. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. We need to be a people who are thankful because our God is worthy of our thanksgiving, is he not? If you got nothing else, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's changing your life. And one day, you know you're going to be in heaven with him forever and ever and ever. you got more to be thankful for than you do to complain about. Do you believe that? I absolutely believe that. But i got a confession to make. I don't always live like I believe that. But we have to choose to be thankful. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Tells us to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the middle of our decision not to worry, we have to pray. In the middle of our praying, we must give thanks. Why give thanks? First, because God commands it. That's reason enough, just because God said so. But secondly, giving thanks also helps you. A thankful heart is such a blessing, not only to others around you, but to you. If you don't believe that, think ahead for just a moment to the Christmas season. How many of you know who Ebenezer Scrooge was, right? Ebenezer Scrooge was a miserly man, an ungrateful man, a a person who was always upset about something, always was afraid somebody was going to take advantage of him, and he's negative about everybody and everything. And yet one night, had this dream. Now, I'm not suggesting the theology here, okay? Ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, okay? It's not good theology, but... The heart of it is this. He is a changed person when he gets up the next morning. Why? Because now he has a thankful heart. A generous spirit. And he's more concerned about others than simply about protecting himself. Ebenezer Scrooge 
is a changed man. We have something greater than ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. We have the Holy Spirit who is alive and real and changing us if we will allow Him moment by moment and day by day. We have the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God is calling us to live like new creations in Him. Because that is what He has done and is doing in our lives. Be joyful, be gentle, be peaceful, be prayerful, be thankful. This is not rocket science. But it's not easy either. They were easy. Everybody would be doing it. I got to tell you, not everybody's doing it. And I got to confess, I don't always do it. In fact, I can't do it in my own power. But I got some good news. Even though I can't, and you probably can't either, do it in your own power, you can live this way in the power of God. 2 Peter 1.3 says, God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything that you need to have a thankful heart. Everything that you need to lift up others above yourself. Everything that you need to be gracious and kind. Everything that you need to follow Jesus Christ. Everything you need to live by faith and not by sight. Joyfulness and gentleness and peacefulness, prayerfulness and thankfulness all go together. When we do what God tells us to do, look at what he does. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a supernatural peace. This is the peace of God... That is transcending all understanding. We can't begin to comprehend how great God is at work in our lives. Giving us, if we trust him, his peace, a supernatural peace. This is also a protecting peace. The New Testament word translated guard here is a military term implying that peace stands on duty to keep out anything that brings care and anxiety. God's peace stands on duty to protect your heart from worry, from doubt, from fear. You keep your eyes on Him. This is also a comprehensive peace to protect, to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we're ever going to know the peace of God, we must first know peace with God. Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the question Do you have peace with God? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is changing your life? Have you turned away from your 
sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. If you've never done that, today is your day. To confess your sin to God. Lord, I am a sinner. I have blown it. I don't deserve you. And yet I believe Jesus died for me. He was buried. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he's coming back again. And I'll put my faith in you. I'll give my life to you. If you're willing to do that, you can be right with God. Right here and right now. And one day, you can go to heaven. Isaiah 26.3 says, God will keep the person in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him because he trusts in him. In John 14.27, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I give my peace to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The world cannot give you this peace. Nor can it understand this peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Paul says, this is a peace that passes all understanding. All human comprehension. This is the peace of God. A peaceful mind is also a disciplined mind. In the next verse, Paul gives us a discipline to consider. Verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. Question. What are you choosing to let your mind dwell on? Are you allowing it to dwell upon God and his goodness and what you can thank him for, praise him for, serve him with? Or are you simply going along with the circumstances of life? We can learn from a sign. On an old dirt road that read, Be careful which ruts you choose. You'll be traveling in them for the next 20 miles. Some of you may be stuck in a rut today. A rut of frustration. A rut of discouragement. A rut of fear. A rut of worry. You can allow yourself to live in that rut. Or you can, by God's grace, choose to live in a groove that is thankful, that is hopeful, that's focusing on what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, things I can praise God for and worship God in. The choice is ours. The natural tendency for me, and perhaps for you, is to fall into the rut. But by the grace of God, and by the power,
power of the Holy Spirit, I would challenge you to live in that groove that is honoring, that is thankful, that is worshiping God and serving others. And as you do that, and I do that, and we do that together, it makes all the difference in the world.